Hi everybody, this is Michael Hildebrand and I'm your host on the Sleep Trust Podcast, where I'm talking about how to gain back trust in your ability to have a superb sleep again. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about lucid dreaming and as promised, we're going to have our very first interview with a special guest, which is Charlie Morley. So welcome to the Sleep Trust Podcast, Charlie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, to tell our listeners where, what you're doing, uh, I um, would like to take the first couple of seconds to introduce you. So Charlie is not only the number one uh, lucid dream uh, coach when it comes to Google. So I, I Googled best dream, uh, lucid dream uh, teacher. That's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not how I found you, actually. Uh, he's a <laughs> dreaming teacher since 2008. He's uh, also an authorized teacher of Tibetan Buddhism, which is quite interesting. Um, since 2010, he offers retreats all around uh, mindfulness, dreaming, and sleeping in over 20 countries. He's been with that. Um, he's got three books out there, of which one is ordered and on its way to, to my home, which is Dreaming Through Darkness. Really looking forward to read that. And in 2018, so just recently, he got awarded with the Churchill Fellowship Grant to do research on mindfulness-based PTSD treatment, which sounds really interesting. We're going to dig into that a little bit later. Um, but I want to kick off this interview with a question you probably hear it half a dozen times. So what, for our listeners, what is lucid dreaming in your words? Half a dozen times, half a dozen million times I've heard that, but I love answering it all of those times, so that's a perfect question. Um, yeah, what is lucid dreaming? So a lucid dream is a dream where you know that you're dreaming as the dream is happening. So you're still asleep, you're totally sound asleep in REM dreaming sleep, but part of the mind, switch, well, part of the brain switches back on again and gives the subjective experience of knowing that you're dreaming. So essentially a dream where you go, aha, this is all a dream. That's a lucid dream. So it's not just a really vivid dream. It's not a dream that you remember very well the next morning. I mean, it could be all of those things, but by definition, it is the reawakening of reflective awareness within this seemingly unconscious REM dreaming sleep state. So a dream where you go, aha, I'm dreaming. Okay, very, very it sounds very interesting. So uh, the last sentence had kind of a scientific sound to it and to, to pick up all those listeners who may think, okay, this is a little bit hokey or whatsoever. Is there a, a scientific approach to prove that there is something like lucid dreaming out there? Oh, yeah. Let me give you the science then. So um, lucid dreaming was first proven uh, in 1975 at Hull University in the UK. Um, then a few years later, Stephen LeBurge, very famous researcher, he did very similar experiments at Stanford Sleep Laboratory. And Stanford were using uh, EEG, they had theirs peer-reviewed. So people think that it was first proved at Stanford University in the early 80s, but actually it's important to know it was the mid-70s in, uh, in the UK that it was first uh, verified. Um, I'm actually going to look at how they verified it more recently, though. So the first studies go back to the 80s. But in about 2010, 2011, we have this real resurgence in uh, lucid dream science. And the studies they did at Heidelberg University, they also did some studies linked to Harvard as well, got people to have a lucid dream while in an fMRI scanner. So not just in an EEG, but actually in a fun functional magnetic resonance imaging scanner, where you see what's happening in the brain live, like a live image. So I'd been in one of those scanners when they do these meditation studies and they need to see whether meditators have different brains. I'm sure I was terrible and my brain hasn't changed at all. But anyway, when I was in that study, I remember thinking, 
How can anyone fall asleep in one of these machines? Because they're so noisy. They go duck, 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 ruck, duck. It's like a techno rave while you're trying to meditate in this brain scanner. But some dude in Germany did manage to fall asleep in one of those scanners, and he was a great lucid dreamer. And he became lucid, and they saw what part of the brain switches on. Now, in normal dreaming, non-lucid, the back part of the brain, around the brain stem and the visual uh, areas, very stimulated. The mm. front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which seems to be where your sense of agency, your sense of self, your sense of I am having an experience resides, very little activity, almost entirely switched off in non-lucid dreaming. Mm. When the dude had a subjective experience of a lucid dream, they saw the front part of the brain, boom, just light up. And it was specifically the right dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. That was the part of the brain that switched on. And what this study did was not only show the direct neural correlates of lucid dreaming, but actually it led to a much bigger study in studying meta-consciousness because of, uh, sorry, meta-awareness. Because of course, it's very difficult to see where awareness comes from because you're either aware or you're asleep. But lucid dreamers allowed scientists to see what part of the brain lights up when we become aware. And it was these frontopolar regions, the right dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Um, so, yeah, any naysayers out there, any skeptics? Lucid dreaming is for real. We have the science. Okay. I think you convinced all of us. Good. <laughs> so, <laughs> where, where I actually stumbled over you, okay, was when I did the research on the podcast episode about lucid dreaming. And... Um, Actually, I okay, I would have stumbled over you anyway because at some point you, you find Charlie Morley. But I found a page, I think it was on dreamstudies.org, where they laid out three videos, must see videos on lucid dreaming. And yours actually kind of touched me on a deeper level because you were not only talking about flying around and having sex and stuff like that, you were talking about embracing nightmares and. Um, oh, it was the TED Talk one, maybe. Yeah. Right, yeah. it was the TED Talk, and you shared this story of a very personal nightmare, and uh, I was wondering, maybe, can you still share this story? Do you have a, still have a present, what, what you dreamed, and what, what was kind of the way to handle this? Yeah, I mean, in the TED Talk, I talk about a subject which then much later on in my career has now become a main um, subject of research for me. So in my, when you were reading my bio, you spoke about the Winston Churchill Fellowship that I got which was based on my work with veterans. So I've been working with veterans and post-traumatic stress disorder nightmares for the last couple of years. And um, that scholarship got me to go to America and study all of the science and research out there, how they're helping veterans with, with nightmares. This is because one of the most powerful ways that lucid dreaming can be a benefit, a mainstream psychological benefit, is integration of nightmares. Out of all the approaches to nightmare integration, lucid dreaming seems to be one of the most powerful. The first study they did on lucid dreaming for nightmares only had five subjects, a very small test group, but all five of them cured their nightmares. They had a 100% success rate. Then one year later, four out of five still had no nightmares. One out of five had nightmares occasionally. So even the first study they did, they were going, wow, there was something about lucid dreaming and nightmares that is very, very powerful. Um, and of course there is, because in a nightmare, you don't know you're in a nightmare. That's why a nightmare is scary because you think that you're actually back in Iraq or Afghanistan or, or you know, if you're one of these soldiers or the, or the veterans. If you can become lucid in the nightmare and go, oh, okay, I'm not really back in Iraq. I'm dreaming I'm back in Iraq. That is a huge deconditioning effect on the brain. Because when we dream, the brain thinks we're there. It doesn't think you're dreaming about being in Afghanistan. It thinks you're there. So the, the sympathetic nervous system sits, sets on, uh, adrenaline's released into the bloodstream, cortisol, all the stress hormones go. But once you become lucid, 
and you tell the brain and mind, no, I'm not back in Iraq. I'm dreaming I'm back in Iraq. Not only do those same stress signals get switched off, but you actually allow the loop of post-traumatic stress nightmares, which are kind of stuck on like a, like a broken record going round and round and round. You pick up the needle and you allow the record to spin to the next. Um, so you can have very, very powerful effects of lucid dreaming to treat nightmares. And as I said in the TED talk, that was one of my first ways into lucid dreaming because I was doing all this kind of spiritual stuff in my lucid dreams and trying to meditate and everything. But whenever I saw a monster or something scary or something nightmarish, I tried to get rid of it. I tried to fight it. I tried to push it away. I thought it was not Buddhist, not spiritual. And then my Buddhist teacher said, no, 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 do the opposite. He said, everything you meet in the nightmare is you. So if you meet a monster, what part of you is that? And I was like, well, if it's a monster, I guess it's a part of me that's very angry, a part of me that's unloved, a part of me that's dangerous, a part of me that's aggressive. And he went, yeah. So how can you integrate that? I thought, well, show it love. He went, absolutely. So whenever you're in a lucid dream and you meet zombies or you meet monsters or you meet scary things or the bully from school, you remind yourself, this is just my mind. This is my mental projection of fear my mental projection of anger, my mental projection of the childhood abuse that happened to me. And now I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to heal it. I can move towards the source of the nightmare and either show love to it or embrace it or dissolve it into light. And that can be such a powerful experience and have such a strong kind of placebo effect of healing um, that it can lead to very, very powerful healing while you, while you sleep. That, that sounds so powerful. I'm, I'm sure that many of our listeners really can relate to that and see this as a reason to actually try to practice lucid dreaming. But uh, I've got one more question to the nightmares and to lucid dreaming in general. So if we have, uh, for, first of all, you said, especially when it comes to the veterans, the first step is to be conscious about that you're dreaming at all. So you don't want to particularly change anything. You just kind of notice, is, is that the way how, how you would start to, to see things? If I was working with someone with nightmares, I'd give you like a four-stage protocol so the if, if you were going to use lucid dreaming which isn't necessarily the best there could be lots of other methods and often with the veterans lucid dreaming isn't the best thing to work with it's something like yoga nidra or, or one of the other meditations but let's say you've chosen lucid dreaming option number one become conscious in the dream okay i'm dreaming and then get out just wake yourself up bail think okay i'm, I'm dreaming i'm dreaming get out and maybe listeners have had that where you've been in a nightmare and you go i've got to wake up i've got to wake up that was lucid once you instructed yourself to wake up you kind of knew you were dreaming so that's option number one and it gets you out of the traumatic nightmare but the nightmare content is still there still unintegrated so option number two become lucid in the nightmare know that you're dreaming and stay there don't wake up intentionally stay in the nightmare don't change anything but just stay in there for as long as you can so maybe just five seconds go, okay it's just a dream it's just a dream it's just a dream it's just a dream that's brilliant that's so good because you're showing that there's, there's nothing to be afraid of, it's just a dream. But again, the trauma is still there. Option number three, become lucid in the nightmare and move towards the trauma. So let's say you have a recurring dream of a person in a black hood chasing you. In option number three, you'd get lucid and you'd move towards the person in the black hood. You wouldn't run away, you'd move towards them. Um, and you could move towards them and hug them, or you could move towards them saying loving things. You could move towards them saying you are just a dream, whatever, but you move towards them. Um, that's quite good. And then option number four, the, the most powerful one is you get lucid. And even if the nightmare, even if the trauma isn't in the nightmare, you intentionally call the trauma to you. So you become lucid and you say, 
you know, fear of spiders, come to me. Or um, the, the trauma in my relationships, come to me. Whatever, you actually call it to you. Um, now, that's a very powerful experience. And some people listening might be worried. Could we not become re-traumatized within the dream by doing that? You've got to look at the, the, the role that dreams play. The reason that all mammals dream, apart from the anteater, which is a cool sleep fact, apparently the anteater's got a slightly different brain to others, um, but most mammals dream, all mammals dream, in fact. And humans uh, not only dream, but we have nightmares. And they look at the function of nightmares, and they believe the reason we came to be top predator on the planet, this uh, Finnish psychiatrist uh, and his team in, in uh, Finland, Finnish university, was our ability to have nightmares. Because if we can dream about threatening events, if we can dream about saber-toothed tigers and stuff like that, the next day we were less likely to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. So nightmares are good news. So we know that the nightmare is actually to integrate trauma. So if you become lucid and you call forth a shadow, don't worry, you're not going to be re-traumatized because you're in a space, the, the dream space, which is designed to integrate trauma. So in fact, in many ways, you're perhaps talking therapy. You could be more likely to be re-traumatized than dream therapy. Because at least in the dream, if it's too much, you'll just wake up. Okay. The dream will say, nah, too much, get them out. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a safety valve in there. So it's actually quite a safe place to do the work. Okay. That, that sounds re really, really powerful. And, you know, when, when I think about my dreams and I, I, you know, I had a lucid dream on accident, must be 20 years ago. So it wasn't right. something I consciously trained. But I had a dream I wasn't actually lucid in where I used to have quite quite a uh, fear about dying and stuff like that yeah so i had this dream where i kind of fell down an elevator and there was this point when i knew you know there, there's kind of no no way out here and i just let go and that yeah. was so powerful for, for me so I, i took this feeling kind of out of the dream into my real life brilliant. kind of brilliant Even, and did that affect your fear of death absolutely yeah um, I'm, I'm not afraid of the death. Okay, I don't like it. don't particularly like uh, people dying or something like that. Course, But it yeah. kind of took this, you know, strange fear or maybe too much uh, and, and gave me this feeling, okay, it's just a piece of letting go and it all, all belongs to each other, to, together somehow. Yeah. And that was not even lucid. So I, I think if we really train this lucid dreaming, it's, it's a super powerful thing that I would recommend everybody of our listeners to, to give it a chance uh, and uh, definitely do so if you've got nightmares, as, as you heard um, Charlie talk about. What yeah, but, but, but also, as you say, you know, you can have very strong healing happening in non-lucid dreams. You know, lucid dreams are not better. They're not better than non-lucid non dreams. They're just a different type. And even if you have a lucid dream every night of your life, so let's say seven nights a week, you have one lucid dream. Because you have about five dream periods based on an eight-hour sleep cycle, that still means like 90% of your dreams will be non-lucid. So even as lucid dreamers, we have full respect for non-lucid dreams. Like if you ask me my, my most powerful dream experiences, okay, number one, yes, it's a lucid dream. But number two, number three, number four, non-lucid. Okay. It was actually normal dreams, but the message was so powerful. The teaching was so powerful. It was almost like my mind said, Charlie, don't be lucid in this one. I don't want you to change things. I don't want you to fly about. I want you to just experience my teaching. So non-lucid dreams are just as powerful as lucid dreams. Okay, that, that, that's interesting to hear from a lucid dream teacher. So Yeah, people don't expect me to say They think, oh, he's just going to say lucid dreams are the best. No, lucid dreaming is, a, is, is like a direct conversation with the dreamer. Yeah. But non-lucid dreaming is like a letter writing from the, from the dreamer. 
And sometimes a letter is better than a face-to-face -face conversation. In other times, a face-to-face -face conversation is better than a letter. It's not better or worse. It's just knowing when to use which modality. To stick to our usual time frame, I broke this interview up into two parts. So you can listen to the second part next week or if you can't wait that long, you're able to listen to the interview in full length right away on our just recently launched Facebook page. Either way, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that you tune in next week. And until then, have a superb sleep. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Sleep Trust Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to get further information on this podcast, or material that will help you to gain back your sleep trust, please check out sleeptrust.eu. That's sleeptrust.eu, where you will get lots of information around sleep. And here comes some legal stuff. Everything on this podcast is my opinion only, so do not take it as an advice, as I am not a doctor, nor have I considered your personal situation. If you feel that you need medical advice, please consider getting an appointment at your doctor of trust. If you want to give me any kind of feedback on this podcast, feel free to email me at podcast at sleeptrust.eu. I hope you tune in again next week and until then, have a good sleep.